taking control over another man's mind or taking control over another man's mind or taking control over another man's mind or taking control over his mind. Uh oh, we're getting feedback from your other computer. If you want to put that on mute, welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Frisch Fisher. Today on God is Open, we have a special guest back with us for the second time. I don't know if you remember our first podcast together, where we were talking about the. Well, I we split one into two parts, right? And so we'll call this the third. That works. No, there's another one in addition. I'm insane. I'm getting so old. My memory is just going. It's just uh, crazy. So we got Art Hagland with us today. Art, you want to say hello to everyone? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we did the uh, one on my debate with Matt Slick, and then you had me on for one speaking about St. Augustine, which... Ah, yeah. Yeah, I was kind of useless there because I'm not really up on him. But you know, it's good times. But today... Uh, we are talking about a subject that's near and dear to my heart, the ontological argument. Now, this is a, a strange argument that Christians often use against, uh, we'll, we'll say, atheists to convince them that there is, in fact, a God. There's a particular type of God, and that God must exist because the formula says that God exists in this capacity. So is that your understanding? Yeah, to me, it is going from an absolute religious-free philosophical argument to try to bring somebody else to God. And, you know, that means that you're just in the five senses. And the Bible basically says you can't go to the spiritual from the five senses. It doesn't work. And so we don't want a straw man. So we're pulling up William Lane Craig's video on his channel, I, he's not speaking, so I don't know if he wrote it or anything like that, but it's from Dr. Craig Videos. I don't even know if it's affiliated with him, but it talks about the ontological argument from a pro-ontological argument perspective, and so we'll, we'll hear what they have to say. In the year 1078, a monk named Anselm of Canterbury astonished the world by arguing that if it is even possible that God exists, then it follows logically that God does exist. Anselm's argument came to be called the ontological argument, and it has sharply divided philosophers ever since. The 19th century German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer called it a charming joke, but many prominent 20th century philosophers... So Arthur Schopenhauer, I've read some of his stuff. He's, he's an interesting guy. He's not... He's not a Christian, so it's no wonder that he, he says it's a joke. But my favorite story I just wanted to tell of his is uh, he's like this, like, I don't know, 30, 40 year old dude. And this is back in like the 1800s or whatnot. And he's in this boat with the lady that he's trying to woo. And he <clears throat> gives her like an apple or some grapes. And she's so disgusted by it, that act. And they're on this little boat together, this rowboat, and she drops him in the water because she's so she doesn't want anything to do with this guy. And then he goes back, and then he's he's all angry and bitter that his love has been spurred. It's like, how do I attract women? And then he has like this whole essay. I don't know if it was written afterwards on like uh, how women are terrible or something like that. But very dense philosophical writer. 
I don't know why they're introducing him into this video. Probably just because he, there's some sort of line somewhere where he dismisses the ontological argument. Such as Charles Hartshorn, Norman Malcolm, and Alvin Plantinga think that it's sound. Here it is. God can be defined as a maximally great being. If something were greater than God, then that being would be God. And in order to be maximally great, a maximally great being would have to be all-powerful, all-knowing, and morally perfect in every possible world. Okay, so right off the bat, we see this formulation occurring. I, I wonder if I could get, get like a chart that just shows every single step. But the first step is that uh, God is a maximally great being. God is defined as a maximally great being for which no other being is higher. We'll, we'll just talk about the argument real quick, and then we can move on to any criticisms of the argument. The second step of the argument is that, you know, if, if there is actually something greater than that, then that thing would be God. Therefore, whatever the, the greatest thing is, that's actually God. And then the second step is, oh, this, this God has to have these properties, all-powerful, all-knowing, morally perfect in every possible world, which he's going to go on to define. Possible worlds are simply ways the world could have been. To say that something exists in a possible world is just to say that if the world were that way, then the thing would have existed. For example, even though unicorns don't exist in the actual world, it seems at least possible that they could have. So we can say that unicorns exist in some possible world. So I'd, I'd like the, us to note that for later. He said, it seems that they could have existed in a possible world. It seems that way. And a lot of times people uh, confuse what they think seems to be the case with what is actual or what's even possible in their own model of the world. On the other hand, a married bachelor does not exist in any possible world because the idea of a married bachelor is logically incoherent. It could not possibly exist. So if it is possible that a maximally great being exists, then we can say that he exists in some possible world. But wait, a maximally great being would not really be maximally great if it existed in only some possible worlds. To be maximally great, it has to be all-powerful, all-knowing, and morally perfect in every possible world. So think about it. If a maximally great being exists in any possible world, then it exists in every possible world. And if it exists in every possible world, then it exists in the actual world. That is, a maximally great being actually exists. Thus, the atheist has to maintain not simply that God does not exist, but that it is impossible that God exists. Here's a summary of the ontological argument. Okay, here's our slide. Uh, we'll kind of back up a little to get that little uh, shading off. But this that's the ontological argument. Yeah, there, there's some, some charts that will show less steps and some that will show more. And uh, so there's different variations of this. But this is the one that we are interacting with tonight. So, Arthur, you have um, some comments on number one. Do you First of all, do you agree with any of these steps or any of the claim steps? Like they're, oh, they're yeah. saying, this is I, the way I, I the world will, is. I will agree with the last one. A maximally great being exists. 
I would I would be hesitant to give that one credit because well again well, the only reason I agree with it is because they said we can define God this way and I believe in God so I believe God exists but I, but I think that uh, I don't think this is a charming joke I, I think this is utter garbage it's, it's right junk and, and so you would actually take issue mm -hmm. with their theological or metaphysical baggage that comes along with maximally great being uh how what kind of uh, uh metaphysical baggage that they've already front loaded into that term right well, so i they 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 start supposedly this is philosophical but they start with religion they started with a religious statement we can say that god can be defined by us in this manner so they're starting with a religious premise in something that supposedly is completely uh, philosophical. And I, I wanted to back up just a little bit when they showed that guy that called it a charming joke. You know, they're putting in front of your eyes one guy versus three guys. So they're trying to stack it in your psychology that uh, more people believe this than don't. And truth is not majority rules. It, right. It's just... And on top of that, a lot of uh, philosophers don't like Schopenhauer. <laughs> I, I tend to like Schopenhauer, but I would be probably be in the minority. So it, it might even be, for those in the know, like a poisoning the well type of thing. Oh, I think that's exactly what it is. I, I, I know nothing about this guy, but I imagine that he might have been picked because he was considered a poor philosopher. Yeah, maybe. So um, already, I think the video, it has a lot of artistic merit. They knew what they're doing. They knew how to frame their argument. They knew how to present. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's doing pretty well. Yeah, it looks like a couple million views, maybe. And uh, so a lot of people like the framing of this video. But yeah, it, well, there well, is... Well, that's it. That's it. How many, how many... What's your average video count? Uh, I don't know, like a, a thousand, depending. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. They're right. We're wrong. Yeah. But uh, they they do stylistically know how to draw people in and present an argument. Just that we, we take issue with their argument, right? Yeah, yeah. None of the trappings matter. So a maximally great being, they say, is defined as a being that exists uh, against which there's no other greater being. And so it seems to me, I, I was talking to you the other day about Platonistic metaphysics. And Plato had this theory of the forms, the realm of the idea, in which there exists all sorts of objects that represented everything in reality. And uh, this, this is how he framed the world. The world was a series of objects. And these objects have different values, different properties. Some properties were contingent, like a, like a cat. Let's say a cat's not necessarily black, so it has a contingent property of color. It could be whatever color. And so they're framing the world as if there's a bunch of objects, and then they assign values to those objects. And then they say God is more valuable with certain objects than without. So one thing I hear often is in terms of omniscience, they assign a positive value to every propositional knowledge statement and say if god lacks a knowledge statement god is less valuable therefore god can't lack a certain propositional knowledge statement because that would violate this maximally great being 
uh, philosophy, this, this, this theory that they're putting out. But uh, I don't think that there exists a world of forms. I don't think this platonic forms is intuitive or intelligible. And I don't think that there's metaphysical value system that's assigned to propositional knowledge by which God becomes more valuable by acquiring one piece of information that he doesn't, didn't have before, for example. That's just one thing. Uh, they say if God acquires anything to himself, if God becomes happier through our prayer, if God becomes, uh, if, if God becomes less angry or if God changes because of us, if God responds to our prayers, then God is valuing something outside of himself and changing for the better. Therefore, that's not actually God. That's what this maximally great being theology does. It adopts this, this Platonistic metaphysics that I just don't think are intuitive. So your thoughts? Well, um, number one, we're finite. And so it's really not possible for us to understand God fully. And so we struggle. And now I would say you can't have a sphere that's got a flat side on it because it is definitionally no longer a sphere. And so however one person is to view God or picture God, and then if something were to say, okay, that picture of God in your view contains x y and z and i would say yes I, I i would say god is holy so if if somebody said well there's a maximally powerful being and he knows all things but he's not holy well then i would say then that's not god doesn't fit the definition of god i i i do hold to exhaustive knowledge in god um, for several biblical reasons, and I understand that open theists, um, they base what they think on things that they've read in Scripture. Uh, I come to a different conclusion, and that's not what this discussion's about. Um, but the, the idea is, is that if I were to tell you that uh, God was created, then you would say, well, then that's not God. You hold you hold a value to that, that either he's God or he's not God based on whether he's self-existent, eternally existent, or he was a created being with a starting point. Correct? Yeah, so uh, what I'm hearing you say is that they're being very subjective in the things that they, they claim rather than being reality-based and then basing their definition of, of God based on reality. Instead, yeah, they're I coming... I would not have a problem with God learning if if I thought that God showed himself to be learning. But I wouldn't say he's less God prior to him learning a new thing or that he's now complete once he's learned that thing. Right. I, I, I don't hold to that. I don't hold to what you were presenting that they hold to. No, I don't. Right, so David has this comment, hats, lots of hats. It's because back when bit strips was a thing, I'd do the little cartoons, like little people. And one oh, of them okay. was me getting in a metaphysical argument with a Will Duffy character about who has the greater God. And one of my characters are like, well, my God has one hat. And then Will Duffy's character is like, 
well, my God has two hats. And so now he's better than yours. And so it's like a God becomes better, better of a God, the more hats he wears. It's, it's this type of, uh, trivial nonsense subjective that we start getting into when we get into this platonic metaphysics where there's a value structure that you're assigning to God as if there's there's some sort of objective values attached to metaphysical principles out in the ether rather well, than the, yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead no I, said, no I thought I thought you were pretty much wrapping that up yeah, so I, I just don't think there's a metaphysical value system attached to propositions in the ether. I, I just I don't think that is an intelligible model of the universe. Right, right, because because I'm not more art if I learned something, and I'm less art if I didn't know that. And God made us in His image, so you know, basically, I would I would say if I'm in His image, I'm not saying God's like me. I'm saying I'm like God. And so if I'm neither more nor less based on what I know, he's neither more nor less based on what he knows. Um, I, 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 uh, I was going to say their, their description of God, a maximally great being that's, that's in every possible universe. Well, they've started with their conclusion. And as everybody knows, that's a losing debate. That's begging the question. It's an argument by definition as well, right? And so let's say that I just make up a word, shakazoia, uh, uh, I don't know. And I say, well, this is a thing that looks like a pizza and by definition exists in all possible worlds, therefore it exists. And like that, we, it, that it, it's a non-intelligible argument, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, re, I wanted to kind of backtrack just a little bit to just talk about how the maximal, the God making properties, God's maximally great uh, being making properties, they contradict with one another, like God's omnipotence, that he can do anything. And then they'll have God being timeless and spaceless. So are they, they're going to deny God the ability, ability to go into time and to be space limited. They're going to deny the God the ability to forget things. Remember, this is a violation of his omnipotence being able to do all things. They're going to say there are things that God can't do. Because what they have to do, because these properties conflict with each other, is they have to priority prioritize these properties against one another and decide which ones takes precedence. Because their system's just not logically coherent when you when you look at it. All powerful is is the most vague statement. It, it, it doesn't mean anything. Is it, are we talking about brute strength, like uh, like uh, a big tractor is more powerful than a a Volkswagen Bug? You know, with its only thirty horsepower versus you know a thousand horsepower. Is that is that what all powerful means? I mean, isn't everything that God does based on a power? I mean, does He have the power to think? It's it's funny because uh, you know this this is something that touches every Christian, pseudo Christian, non Christian, purely phys- philosophical arguments that can be made. Is is uh, you know what what are the list of these powers that he has, and and for example, if if God is the 
non-existent false definition that Calvinism in, uh, invented on sovereignty, that he controls all things. And if he knows you're going to do it, you can't do anything other Then God becomes not free because he knows what he will do. Therefore, he cannot do anything other. You know, it's a, they, they try to trap somebody else. They end up trapping God. It's, it's, uh, it's all right to say, I don't know. Right. What and about so, this? I don't know. Uh, me and Will Duffy, we, we went to the randomness conference, I don't know how many years ago, but that the, every single presentation were a bunch of philosophers in the front of the room arguing about the best God-making properties. And I took a picture of one guy on, on the blackboard. It wasn't a blackboard, it was a marker board. Uh, but he wrote out his formula. And so he had all these like X's and equals and times is into the powers and divisions. I'm like, I don't think your formula actually represents God. I don't, I, I just don't know about that. But think about this, that um, is one human being better than the other if that human being is better at math, let's say. I would say no, that the value of a human being is inherent and intrinsic and not right. based on on the math you can do, right? Even if you could do math better than that one guy, right? Well, and, yeah, I, I, I would just say that uh, a, a perfect human being would be metaphysically better. I, I would say that if you're not perfect, you know, people could make a list of, I did less sin than you did. And, and the sins I did are humanly uh, not as bad as yours. You know, it, we can do, we can play that game all we want, but who are we? You know, it's our arbitrary judgments, and they're almost always made to make sure that the person making that list doesn't fall short. All right, so let's let's move on to every possible world. They start talking about not only the actual world, but possible worlds. <laughs> and you laugh, and I, I laugh too. Just uh, what are we thinking here? Well, they're, they're they're stating that God has to be in every possible world. So so let let's think about it, as they said in here. Let's think about it. Well, first they use an animal, a unicorn, uh, instead of the dictionary's unicornus, which is a rhinoceros that does exist in this world. Um, they talk about a marriage bachelor, a married bachelor. Well, a married bachelor couldn't exist in any possible world. It could if word definitions were different in another world. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think they're conceptualizing this again in like a Platonic mindset, whereas these possible worlds are actual existing branches, like uh, potential streams, but they they basically exist enough to have effect back onto reality. Whereas a pos, you know, when we typically talk about things like the future and the past and, and possibilities, we're not talking about actualities. These are not actual things that exist. They're just framing devices, mental shortcuts to communicate a concept. So treating them like they're actual tangible things that, that have 
have reality baked into them, um, that they're, they're actual worlds that exist rather than just mental conceptions. I think that's a huge mistake. Will Duffy, I, I keep talking about Will Duffy for some reason, but he posted a, a comment once on his, his uh, Facebook, probably like within the last month, saying that there's more combinations that a uh, 52-card deck of cards can make more that more than all the atoms in the universe something like that so what they're claiming is that every time you and i play up and down the river that uh there's there's all those worlds branching out from every single card game that we play there's trillions and trillions of possibilities out, out into the existence and they they're all metaphysical realities in, in some sense of the word but I just, I just don't think possible worlds are a thing and definitely not a thing that you could draw back onto ourselves. They say if God exists in one possible world, then he exists in them all. Possible worlds are not a thing, right? Right, right. I mean, to me, the best concept of a possible world would have been that uh, that my older brother who died before I was born. He died when he was 38 days old or, or something. I don't know. I wasn't around, but, uh, you know, a possible world that he didn't die. You know, that's not the world that, I, that we live in, but you know, if things, if he didn't have the birth defects that he was born with, then I would have grown up with an older brother. So, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a possible world. Um, but I, but I argue that uh, there's no other possible world than this one because it's it's uh, uh, because this is the world that exists <laughs> yeah yeah it is the world that exists and and um, how, how can something else be possible okay I, I put it like this mechanically it's possible I, I try to, I try to, this argument also fits against the compatibilist free will idea of, uh, of Calvinism, but it, but it fits here too. Okay. My car is designed to, to go forwards and backwards, steer right, steer left. So when I come to a, a stoplight, um, there are possibilities, but there's only one reality. And so do those possibilities matter? If I would have gone left instead of straight or gone right instead of left, then that would be the world that unfolds. But it's not because it was a multitude of possible worlds. You know, the possibilities in the actual world. And when you go to the past, it's written in stone. And, and so the, their question, this whole argument is, does God exist or does God not exist? To try to invent possible worlds and then say, well, there's no reason he couldn't. You know, we don't base arguments on what isn't. We base arguments on what is. Because what isn't is actually infinite. Everything that isn't is actually infinite. I, you, everybody in the world could just start naming things that aren't, 
you know, I could have had a brother. I could have had a sister. I could have had two brothers. I could have had two sisters. I could have bought a, a brown car instead of a red car. It just goes on and on and on and on. But this just isn't reality. And to say that, well, because this possible world where I bought a red car instead of a brown car could have had God, it just doesn't make, there's no more reason to argue for a maximally great being in a possible world than there is to just argue it in this world. There's no actual difference in what the argument can bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was trying to pull up uh, in uh, Atheism, the Case Against God. George H. Smith actually talks about this whole linguistical trick of uh, necessary and contingent and how these are just kind of categories that, that we've made up in our mind. Again, I, I don't think that possible worlds are a thing. It's, it's a mental framing device that helps us conceptualize how things can turn out depending on how we use our volition. Right. And, and how things will turn out, maybe even based on random chance, if you're rolling dice or whatnot like that. They're not actu actual worlds. They're not actual pathways. The only thing that exists is now. The past is just a memory and the future is just a hope. We can't time travel. Time travel is an absurd concept. These places don't exist. And they definitely can't exist in the sense that you could use possible worlds to then... Uh, that impose reality on the real world or anything like that. It's, and it seems like a bogus concept. Yeah. Well, remember this is, this is pure philosophy, which is supposed to be presentable to a person that doesn't believe in God and then convince them that there is a God. And so they start with a, insufficient definition of God. And so they just say, well, we could define God like this. And so we're going to use this new title, maximally great being. We're not going to say God anymore because now, now we're taking religion out of it. No, you're not. What you do is you've got a definition you created under the title of what that word is. And you're cutting off the, the word and you're substituting a definition for the word. And that doesn't do anything for anyone. And so that they, they're basically trying to argue God without saying God. And they're trying to pretend that they're not in a, a religious argument at that point. But they are. They started that way by saying God can be defined as X. So X and X and X and X. Look, you're just saying God all over the place. And... So your your argument is if God can exist, he does exist. That's it. You don't have to go to these possible world things. And and this argument is 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 uh there's a statement of brute fact, number one. It is possible. We don't know that it is possible from a remember what you and I are here to argue about this arg this this ontological argument. We're not here to to say God doesn't exist, we're here to say that this is a bad argument for these reasons. And if you're going for a purely philosophical argument and you state a brute fact, well, that's not established. And philosophically, I don't have to accept 
your insistence, your presupposition. I don't have to do that from a philosophical. You have to frame this as if, which they do in three and four. But here, so, yeah. They do. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So if you know in every single step, there's in-baked presumptions, words being used, concepts being introduced and insisted upon, even if their formula works out, because something could be logically valid, but not sound. Like if you say oh, yeah. every, every cat is a ghost, uh, uh, Floki is a cat, therefore Floki is a ghost. Well, you know, uh, the, logically it flows, logically it's sound, but I think what they're doing in all these steps is that I don't think it's logically sound because they're introducing non-concepts. And so you can't just throw in non-concepts in your formula. Maybe you could call it logically sound, but but it's not it's not technically sound. It it does doesn't work because of the presumptions built into every single time every every single sentence uses maximally great being, which is a subjective evaluation based on whatever people want to argue makes something maximally great based on metaphysics that hasn't been established. And then they start talking about possible worlds, which they haven't shown is an actual thing to be used in this fashion to impose dictates on reality. Well, not uh, only so, that, but they said that they said that atheists don't get off so easy by saying God doesn't exist. It says they must believe. Well, no, you can't tell anybody they must believe something. An atheist can't tell me I must believe there's no God. And I can't tell them that they must believe it's impossible for God. So, you know, what, what, this, what this is, it's a statement that it is possible that God exists. Well, an atheist can say, I'm, I'm agnostic. I don't know that there's a God. I don't know that there's not a God. I don't see evidence of it because if there is no God, everything around us is everything around us. I exist. Everything around us exists. And it exists without God. And if there is God, the same things can be said, except you say, it's all here because of God. So to say is a brute, brute fact in the argument that it is possible that God exists. An atheist doesn't have to enjoin that. He doesn't have to deal with that premise. He doesn't have to accept it. And then to say a God exists, a God does exist, in some possible world you know they they don't have to I, okay there are stories that people invent where there's no god in it that people write a story and god doesn't exist in the story is that a possible world well if you read everything in their story they're on earth well earth exists in the in the actual world is obviously possible so i mean you could read everything in their story and say, well, that's a possible world. There's nothing inside this story that makes it impossible. And in this story, there's no God. So, so you can say there is a possible world where God absolutely does not exist. Right. So, so you, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So what they would respond to that, putting on their hat, is then they would say, because I've I've dealt with Molinists and and I have to deal with them using these types of arguments, they'll say, well, that's not actually a possible world. It, it looks like it, you know. You could kind of read the story, and there's no God. 
but that really isn't one because it conflicts with this definition over here. And then you could you could pro you, you could probably double down and say, well, it's called atheist world, and the definition of atheist world is it's a possible world that possibly exists. Therefore, it it exists in a possible world. Yeah, they can say via God definition can be defined. God can be defined as an aberrant thought in people's minds. And, that, and you know what? That's absolutely true in this world. The atheists believe, and there are crazy people that believe in quote-unquote God that's like no other God we've ever heard of. Right, so it's yeah. an argument by definition. David writes, if man-bear-pig can exist, then he does exist. Because man-bear-pig is defined as uh, an animal or a creature that exists in all possible worlds. See, it's in the definition uh, because he exists by definition in all possible worlds, that means he must exist because the actual world is one of those possible worlds. That, that, that's that's the type. That's the level of argumentation that we're encountering. Well, it comes down to I believe because I believe because I believe because I believe ad infinitum. And so, and the, I I think the ontological arguments may be converted like one atheist in the history of humanity to Christianity. I don't think it's very effective. It might be. It might be like a flash, shock, and awe enough to get a couple people, but I, I don't think on its face value it's that convincing to someone who already doesn't believe in God because basically they're going to see that you're just trying to argue God into existence by definition. And so well, they're... just look at point five and point six. Uh, God exists in the actual world, therefore, God exists. That's that's circular. Uh, that's absolutely insane for anyone to think that's a good argument. God exists, therefore God exists. Now, as a Christian, we call that faith. We call it faith. And the, and the atheist, the true no-Godist, says, I believe, because they also don't have they don't have proof that satisfies the five senses. I believe that there is no God, not any type of God whatsoever. So I disbelieve because I disbelieve because I disbelieve. And, and so you'll, yeah, you'll definitely see special pleading. So we're going to, there's another half of this video in which it counters counter arguments to the ontological argument like an atheist counter argument and i i've dealt with people before giving very similar arguments against the ontological arguments so we'll let that play out are you ready for that oh yeah it's their pizza example summary of the ontological argument steps right. to absurd like a married bachelor or a square circle or the smell of blue this doesn't seem to be the case the notion of an all-powerful, all-knowing, morally perfect being that exists in every possible world seems to be a perfectly coherent idea. But couldn't we parody this argument and make it work for anything? Why not say, it's logically possible yes, that a maximally yes, great pizza exists. Therefore, a maximally great pizza does exist. However, the idea of a maximally great pizza is not like the idea of a maximally great being. In the first place, there aren't intrinsic maximal values that make pizzas great. There could always be... Uh, 
yeah, so uh, they'll claim there's intrinsic uh, maximal property values that exist for God, but not the pizza. Okay, that that was that's a pretty major assumption that you never established in your opening argument. Yeah, I mean, what if what if I say because it's my pizza logical argument that that a maximally great pizza is a thick crust, stuffed crust, um, garlic crusted pizza with extra cheese, bacon, and double mushroom. Well, couldn't right. you put more bacon on it? No. No, more bacon offsets the balance, and it's actually less. You, you have to make it the way I have it in my mind. It's maximally great. You, in, because they started out with, God can be defined by this. Boom. This is it. This right. is it, baby. I think the maximally great God is the color blue because that's my favorite color. So he must be the most pure shade of blue uh, imaginable. Uh, a shade of blue for which there's no bluer shade of blue. You know, that it's how many hats does God wear? If he wears okay. one hat, two but, hats but, are better. But look at this. Couldn't you put one more pepperoni on it? Couldn't God have made one more star? Right. And so we'll we'll hit play and they're adding a pepperoni to the pizza. One more pepperoni to increase its greatness. It's not even obvious what properties make a pizza great. Thin crust or thick crust, extra cheese, anchovies. It's relative to the taste of the consumer. In the second place. Uh, there's a there's a tire theological conferences arguing about maximally great making properties for god and so this appeal to these values are subjective for pizza and then them pretending it's not subjective for god that it's oh it's is it is it self-delusional do do they not understand what's going on here is do they honestly believe that there's actual maximally great making properties for god that don't exist in the same fashion for pizza. It's, it's all special pleading. My question is, do they realize what they're doing? Well, I don't think they do. And, and also, um, we discussed this before. I, I don't agree with it. Remember, I'm, we're attacking this argument. We're not attacking faith in God. Uh, we're not attacking scriptures or anything. But an argument could be made that God expended, he made light. And then he made that light for a purpose. That that darkness and that light cycle defines what a day is. So so he was just setting the stage. Now his first act is all the atomic mass in the in the universe. Wow, that's a lot of work. I mean, the atheist could say maybe that was that was the one hundred percent force. He he could not have made another star. He could not have made another planet. He could not have made another electron. And now the second day, he actually does a little bit less work. And in fact, he's just concentrating on the earth. He's not even, he's not even trying to be fully cosmic at this point. He did so much energy expulsion. Oh man, I, I, I'm really tired this morning. I'm just going to work on this planet. And you know what? I'm going to make a little bit of dirt here and, and the rest is just water. Wow, I am still really tired from what I did on the first day. 
I'm calling it, I'm quitting early on the second day. Let's go to the third day. And I, maybe I'll work a little bit harder on the third day until he creates man. And then he's so wiped out. He has to take a full day of rest. And in fact, it's more than a full day of rest. He hasn't done any creation in a whole, he's rested over 6,000 years at this point. You know, occasionally he'll do a, a little miracle. He'll mill shake the earth a little bit. Again, I'm not mocking God. I'm not mocking Christianity. Saying what what uh, an atheist could look at the Bible, and they can see graduated steps in what God actually did, and they could proffer this argument. Well, of course, we would say that's an insane argument. You know, all things have to be made and then worked on. And if this is the jewel of God's eye, and He's really not worried about, and and again, is God? limited to only doing this work here is he is he omnipresent where he can work everywhere at once you know they're not dealing with these kind of things but but because it's their own ontological argument they get to define it the way they want and so they are stacking the deck in every possible way and saying this is my sandbox and this is the only one you can play in you can't bring your own toys you know that's that's just it. All right. Well, we'll we'll continue on and uh, see what else they say. A here. maximally great pizza would have to exist in every logical possible world, but that would mean that it couldn't be eaten. So it wouldn't really be a pizza because a pizza. <laughs> right. Okay. So pizza must have a property of being able to be eaten. Well, what if this maximally great pizza can be eaten by definition and then also still remain a pizza and still be available for eating right well, see, who says we, it can't be eaten who says it wasn't there was a certain time and place where the maximal pizza was made yeah and, and can it maximally great pizza maybe that's a great making property is the ability to be eaten and consumed or is it eternal it, yeah, it could there could be the eternal maximally great pizza or a consumable a consumable maximally great pizza. No, but they're offering the idea that that a pizza can be really good and you can eat it. It's really good, really really good, but it can't be the best because if it's the best, then you can't, you can't eat, eat it. it. You can't <laughs> eat it. It's ridiculous. Absolutely, say something you can eat. The idea of a maximally great pizza turns out not to be a coherent idea. The idea uh, of... You know, because they put a big sign like saying, oh, a maximally great God is coherent in a big flash, and that maximally great pizza is not coherent. Why? Because we say so, because we apply arbitrary values to God that we're not going to, in this pizza example, will allow the same types of arguments to exist for God that we won't for this pizza. It's, it's all it, special pleading. Is it possible in a possible universe? Remember, their idea is we can't see any reason why a unicorn couldn't exist. It's an animal. We have animals. It's a horse-like animal. We have horse-like animals. We call them horses. We have animals that are quadrupeds that have horns. We have a whale with one horn. We have the rhinoceros with one horn. It's not actually a horn. But anyway... So, okay, I'll agree. There's no reason, other than God chose not to do it, that we can't have a unicorn. So, is there a 
possible world where God could have made one more planet? Well, I can't see a reason because God doesn't give me his mind. I can't see a reason that if he can create one world and he can create the entire universe, that he couldn't have created one more moon, one more world, one more star. So there's a possible universe where he did that. Well, can I not argue that that God, that God no longer exists because he didn't do that in every possible universe? Isn't he maximally, didn't he expend a little more energy to do that? Didn't he make himself greater in that possible universe than he is in, in our actual universe? Yeah, our argue, argument from definition, and uh, let's let's take the unicorn example. What if we just add on to the definition of unicorn? A unicorn is an animal that exists in all possible worlds. Then, then you can actually make the same ontological argument because a unicorn is defined as something that exists in all <laughs> possible worlds, and in the or the actual world is a possible wor world. Therefore, unicorns exist in this world. So it's. It's not very good logic. Again, uh, you, you stated a unicorn exists in this world. Therefore, a unicorn exists in this world. That's not an argument. It, that, it is for them because they view possible worlds as categories that don't entail existence of which the actual world, which doesn't tell existence, is a subset of. And so that's their mindset going in there that... Uh, there's all these possible worlds, and the actual world is just one of many possible worlds. And so if it, something exists in the actual world, then it exists. But if something exists in possible worlds, then it doesn't necessarily exist. Again, But they talk about coherence, and in the, in that yeah, whole idea is not coherent whatsoever. They, they, they posit this idea of these possible worlds. Those aren't things. They're just Hey, if concepts. God is all-powerful, can't he leave? Can't he leave a possible world? Yeah, well, they, they would also... I've, I've talked to them about deicide, um, God committing suicide, and they reject the notion that God can commit suicide because that would violate all the their maximally great God-making properties. Okay, so that's but... That's going to be their standard claim. But the definition of God... Oh, uh, God can be defined as... I'll just say that that way is a... A brute fact. Um, God can be defined as self-existing. And that's actually what God said when uh, Moses said, uh, who shall I say sent me? The one that is self-existing sent you. That's my name. I, I'm self-existing. That's my name. You can't pronounce it in your language. <laughs> like the aliens. <laughs> you can't pronounce my name in your language. So... If God can self-exist, can he not self-non-exist? Exactly what you said, deicide. It's, I mean, there's an anti-Christian heavy metal group called that, so I, I don't like even the sound of that in my ears. But, oh. <laughs> but yeah, couldn't, couldn't God just um, say, I made the plan, I've done everything, I'm God, I know that I've done everything, and... Okay, that's it. I'm done, including me. And and he and he goes away. Or can't he just leave the possible world? Can't God 
as, as many say, is outside of time and outside of space, can he just remain there and no longer be in this universe? He's yeah, all powerful. So, <laughs> can he do that? So putting on my Molinus hat, I would say uh, those are not possibilities because they are logical contradictions of God's nature. God can't go against his own nature. And therefore, God can't do things like sin. You and I, we could do sins. So we could do something that God can't. But God can't because that would violate his nature. But he still gets to retain his omnipotence status because his omnipotence status also has um, these th this further definition that is further nuanced that uh, precludes any of these things we're talking about. God can do everything except that which goes against his nature and except that which would uh, go against his maximally great property-making things. This would be their argument. Right, because they've, they've given God can be defined as, and they've say, stated three things. And it's really funny when they, when they you know, say that he has all knowledge. Basically, they've, they've taken an apple and a peeler, and this is all power, the apple, and they've just peeled off one little bit of peel, and that is the particular power of knowing all things. Well, again, like I said much earlier, why didn't they just go ahead and peel back a whole bunch of other powers that we can discuss? Well, because I think I think they have they're on shaky ground with just peeling away one of them, and that way they can leave all powerful undefined, which means that limits anything you could possibly say, because. They get to say, well, no, that's not our definition. But like you said, every, their argument is purely definitional, which they themselves are in control of, and it's their sandbox. Right. So we'll finish out this movie and see if they add anything of relevance. I don't think they're going to. God, on the other hand, is an intuitively coherent idea. Therefore, his existence is a possibility. And the ontological argument shows that if God possibly exists, then God actually exists. So let's let's brainstorm a metaphysical system that doesn't doesn't contain Platonistic metaphysical value making properties. Well, maybe the world exists in let's say the presentist model. All that exists is now. There's no future. Futures don't exist. The past doesn't exist. It's, it's just eternally now. Yeah, it's an eternally now. Uh, God exists. God has always existed. He's always existed in this state. It's not like God is getting better by gaining propositional knowledge or God is getting better or worse through changes. Better and worse wouldn't be there. There wouldn't actually be those values except for our subjective evaluations. There's not going to be it's not going to have medical ties to the ether to, to even make these claims that God is getting worse. If God does something that we don't like, that doesn't make him worse. If he does something we do like, that doesn't make him better. If God uh, learns something or grows in some way, or if God uh, creates one more thing that doesn't make him that much better, anything like that. Uh, maybe the world exists in this, uh, we'll say morally neutral universe that uh, we we build our subjective evaluations off of how we interpret the universe, right? So there's not objects existing in metaphysical space like uh, Plato, like he positive, 
maybe it, it's a little less nuanced than that. I, I gave you the example the other day. I was, I was talking to my kids. It's like, can you define a cat? And uh, so they'd be like, oh, it's a small creature, four legs and fur. And then I pull up a picture of a dog, a terrier. I'm like, is that a cat? They're like, no. And so they just have to keep nuancing. But the point of the fact was that labels are generalities. We, we form conceptions of objects uh, loosely based on context. Uh, one video I like to show is about optical illusions and the same color will look different to us depending on the surrounding context i think at the end of, vid of the video he has a purple light that's actually an orange light if you pull off the surrounding covers but the light wasn't changed the light wasn't filtered it was the exact same light just an optical illusion because that's how our brain processes data and so it's it's not like these objects exist in some ethereal space with metaphysical properties like oh it has a property of color that could be toggled or anything like that instead we build objects we construct them in our own mind we we construct value sets in our own mind it is there's there's not a value set that exists in the ether and one example i give of this is for those who state that there is morality uh, uh, morality that's encoded in the metaphysical realm right it doesn't actually do anything for us unless there's practical consequences to our actions does that make sense so yeah it, it's the same to me it's the same as when people just really want to argue and hammer about uh evolution i i've just i've dropped my hammer on that and just said look can you point to me to one thing that the human race is better for by believing it's a fact that there was evolution versus the concept never existed our medicine doesn't change our food doesn't change nothing actually changes if you believe that or you don't believe it the concept existed versus it didn't exist so so why be so headstrong to keep this argument going if you win what did you win Again, I don't know if uh, anyone's ever converted off of this argument, but uh, I, I would be surprised. I have yet to meet someone who has said, who've been like an atheist, like, I don't believe in God. Oh, ontological argument. Okay, that makes sense. Add those up. Oh, I'm suddenly a theist. I, I, just, I just don't feel like that's a thing. And, Could you uh, imagine going into a church and saying, if it's possible in some possible world that a maximally great being by a new definition that I will give, doesn't exist, then he doesn't exist in every possible world, including this one. That that's, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And a, a good argument should work both ways, providing the base is true and we start with this god exists i mean that's the word their basis isn't philosophical it's religious god exists and we can define him as this well they're the six points of their argument just utterly fail they just utterly fail because each one in some way or another is just saying the same thing that god exists God exists, God exists, 
God exists, therefore exists in this world, therefore exists. Mm-hmm. Not an argument. Right. And so I, I would like to highlight, that's, that's my biggest takeaway from the ontological argument, is the extent to which we have adopted Platonistic metaphysics, Platonistic uh, uh, realm of the ideals, the realm of the <clears throat> forms. And we've, we've built these conceptions based on this metaphysical model, which is not intuitive. I don't think there's anything that recommends itself. Maybe people might want uh, some sort of objective of values in the ether or something like that, but it doesn't seem that way to me at all. Uh, value is subjective. Value is created by people who are evaluating objects. It doesn't exist independently of us. I'm no great philosopher, but I made a logic tree that to me can take somebody from atheism to faith much better than this. And you just have two columns. Uh, You go to the next point if the answer is yes. And if the answer is no, then you go to the second column, which which leads you back to, to then there's no God. So the question is, can God exist? Yes or no? If, if there can be a God, we're going to go to point two. If there cannot be a God, then column B, there's no God. Okay, can God be known? Yes or no? Well, if God can be known, we can go to the third step. If he can't be known, then we can't know that he exists. Therefore, there's no God. And a logic tree like that. You know, if if God can be known, then that means that he has to reveal himself. Can he reveal himself? Yes or no. Can he be understood when he he reveals himself? Yes or no. And you can go through and if he he reveals himself, is he going to tell the truth? Because if he lies, we can't actually know him. We can't know him. There's no God. So you can only end up with one possible true religious concept. Because if there's more than one religious concept going on, Islam is true, plus there's another way to heaven through Christianity. No, because one of those is a lie, which means he's not telling the truth, which means we can't know him, which means he doesn't exist. Now, that logic tree is much more helpful and substantial than this ontological argument. Because I'm not defining anything other than what is actually logical. If I sit there and lie to you about me, and then you're in a court testifying, well, do you know Art? Oh, yes. Well, okay. Um, Where does he work? Well, he works at this company. No, he's never worked there. Well, he's married to Susan. No, he's married to Anna. (laughs) He's got six kids. No, he's got two natural born and two adopted kids. You know, pretty soon they're just going to say, this witness is valueless in your... Or uh, um, mixing some Spanish there, Your Honor. So uh, you know you're excused. You don't know the guy. You know that logic tree just is much better than the ontological argument, and you know so, it's religiously based. <laughs> I'm of the opinion that people don't convert to ideologies based on facts and convincing. That people tend to be emotionally based, and and so telling someone a story is a lot more effective at conversions than giving statistics and and logical, uh, nuanced uh, arguments. 
So pe people love people. People love stories. People love emotion, and people reason with emotion. That's why. That's why poisoning the well is actually a fairly effective debate strategy. That remember, you had that your debate with Matt Slick, where you preemptively shut down his bullying and his poisoning the well and all his bad debate moves that he usually uses to try to emotionally manipulate his audience. But the fact is, if you hadn't done that, then he would have been able to have a lot more sway on his audience because that is how audiences think. That's how, how people generally act and behave. They, they don't care about the information. They care about emotion, people, stories. They care about how things make them feel. Yeah, there's a lot of people, especially with Matt Slick, that... Uh that when they see a debate, even, even if they start out on his side, they just don't want to have anything to do with him afterwards because he's a despicable person. And yes, so okay. He can chase people to the other side based on what you said, emotionalist. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people on his side uh, get have their beliefs reinforced because they, they see it's uh, my side against theirs and our side is giving punches. We're rooting for the blue team over the red team and rah, rah. We, we tribalism. Win. Yeah, definitely def tribalism. All right. So I, I think we've discussed um, basically all our talking points that we wanted to hit tonight on the ontological argument. Do you have any other areas you want to discuss or, or then we can move into the closing here? Um, no, you know, I think, uh, based on, I, I wrote out almost 3000 words and I sent it to you, but, uh, I, I would say when they talk about the married bachelor, it's a non point or non winner because they're talking about an intrinsic thing with the unicorn. It's made up of muscle and tissue and it's basically a horse that has a horn, but then they talk about the married bachelor which is uh, not a consistent comparison because you're talking about the actions of a person. And when they said, well, it can't exist in any possible universe, well, does Webster's Dictionary have to be the same in every universe? I mean, at, at some point, the word bachelor was developed. And what if that meant a, a, uh, an employed person? And, and, and uh, what if married means you live in a house. So can't he be a married bachelor? Can't he be an employed person that lives in a house? Of course he can. So the, you know, again, reinforces what you say about definitionalism is the soul of their argument. And there's no logic to it. It's, it's, here's what it is. I'm going to present what I present and you accept it. Ta-da! I've proven my point. <laughs> so, yeah, going back to the part of the video in which they said, well, this possible world seems like it could exist. What I've experienced when dealing with Molinists is that they, they take what they feel could exist and they confuse it with what would exist in their model. So if fatalism is true... Even though we might think something could exist, like a, a unicorn, it could exist. If fatalism is true, it really can't exist. And so even though we're, you, you can't you just use your perception of what could be to inform 
to inform the world about what is actually possible. Right. Uh, and so right now I just caught a joke that they probably didn't even know they made. They're probably totally ignorant of it. Okay. They define God as a morally perfect being that exists in every possible universe. And he says, okay, so here's a singular universe that God could exist. Think about it. If he exists in this universe, if what exists in this universe, a being that exists in all universes, if this being that exists in all universes exists in this universe, it exists in all universes. Dude, your definition was it exists in all universes. Why are you why are you starting out saying well, there's a possible universe that he could exist in? Well, I'm sorry, but that's a joke. It's a bad joke. I guess this idea of a, a charming, uh, what did he say? It was a charming joke? I don't think it's charming. I don't think right. it's charming at all. A unicorn is a creature that exists in all possible worlds. And so well, then if you f find a possible world in which a unicorn exists, you just say, see, it exists in this possible world. Therefore, it exists in reality or something like that. That's it's not a good argument. Anyway, no, so you're going to fiction <laughs> land. You're going to fiction land and saying that proves in reality land. Right. That's we the we crux can't of that argument. We can't confuse our mental constructs of what could be with actual possible worlds that again it's it's a platonistic model. It's a, they they view the world, the timeline as a branching tree with all things currently existing and able to interact with each other and uh, overlapping and able to feed back to reality. Again, I, I just don't think that's a good model of the universe. I don't think there's anything that commends itself. But I, we might be beating a dead horse in this possible world. And uh, so we probably should end about there. Any closing thoughts for our audience? No, I just think our idea from the beginning was to show that it's a ridiculous argument. And uh, I think we've done that. I think we've shown that it's not consistent, it's not logical, and uh, and and you you can't connect the dots that they say are there. Right. I I I don't. I fundamentally disagree with every step of the equation. And so we'll have to have you come back on again sometime to talk about uh, other formulations like that. I think. Uh, what was your other idea? The Kamal. The Kamal cosmological argument, yes. So maybe something like that. But uh, I'm I'm happy to have you back on the show. It's been a while, and so it's Long good while. talking to you. Thanks yeah. for having me. Oh, I I'm more than happy to have you. So it's a good time. <laughs> All so, right, uh, we'll take care. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see you there. Um, for people talking, if you guys have questions, comments, put that down below on the YouTube channel or start a thread on the God Is Open Facebook page. Thank you for watching.